The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Fostering diversity and inclusion through mentoring. And HBO Max rolls out audio-described content. Welcome to ACB Reports for April 2021. During the recent leadership meeting, the Multicultural Affairs Committee of the American Council of the Blind conducted a discussion of the importance of mentoring as a means to achieve diversity and inclusion within the organization. Participants in the session were committee chair Peggy Garrett and members Michael Garrett, Sandra Sermons, and Regina Brink. Here is Peggy Garrett. ACB is an awesome organization. And as President Spoon has said earlier in his opening statement, all of the challenges that we were met with last year and how ACB stepped up and met those challenges and put us on the map just in marvelous ways. And we are so appreciative of the opportunity to be a part of ACB. It is my honor to chair the Multicultural Affairs Committee. And as most of you know, our mission is to promote inclusion and embracing of people of all ethnicities. ACB has just made such a difference in my life that it's made me want to make a difference for everybody else who is living with blindness or even low vision. As great as we are moving forward, we can move ahead and even be greater as we reach out to Blacks, other people of color, uh, as we promote inclusion and embracing everyone. There is a lot of talent in this organization that has yet to be tapped and included. And this is what we want to do. We want to make this organization from the top to the bottom representative of all of its members. So what We have looked at and decided that the way to do this is through a mentoring program. Michael Garrett is going to talk to you about the importance of mentoring. And then Sandra Sermon is going to talk to you about some steps ACB can take to implement the program. And then Regina Brink is going to share with you the various types of mentoring programs that we can implement. Then I'm going to come back with just a few tips on some of the things that we can do at the local level to start the mentoring process, and how to move it up to the leadership level of ACB. So I'll turn it over to Michael Garrett to get us started. I chose this first segment of this presentation because of the statistical significance and because of personal experience. And I want to preface my comments or this segment by saying the presentation focuses on Uh, Black and African-American participation, but it can be increased to include all people of color. So the very first thing that needs to be addressed is the obvious. Why mentoring? Why the need for mentoring? According to an article in Forbes magazine in response to the Black Lives Matter uprising following the death of George Floyd, Many organizations have committed to increasing Black representation 
at the leadership levels. Both Microsoft and Uber have pledged to double the number of Black employees in senior level positions. Google, Royal Bank Canada, Lloyd's Bank Group, and HSBC, another financial conglomerate, also are among companies who have publicly announced their plans to increase Black representation in their leadership teams. This focus on top positions is part of a growing trend. While efforts to increase diversity have typically been pushed at the more junior levels, over the past few years, external think tanks have been closely analyzing diversity in the upper ranks. According to the Center for Talent Innovation, Black employees hold only 3.2% of leadership roles. This gap must be addressed. However, beyond increasing Black representation at senior level and the promise of anti-racism training, many corporations have failed to outline support mechanism they plan to put in place for Black employees early in their career. Now, this feels like a crucial oversight because it could argue that one reason there are so few leaders is because companies do so little to help talented junior Black employees thrive. Now, many Black professionals join the work environment where they are in the racial minority which can be isolating. They can be made to feel that they are merely a diversity participant and should be grateful just to be there. They endure racism and microaggressions, and they feel compelled to compress their feelings of hurt and frustration to avoid conforming to the stereotype of being angry. With that in mind, here are four steps that organization leaders can take to foster a better environment. Sandra? What you can do is create a safe space. We need to feel comfortable. We need to feel that it is okay to have the meaningful conversation. When things are not going well, I don't feel as a valued employee or I don't feel as a valued ACB member, what can be done to engage and and to not stereotype a person of color? Okay, you're just an angry black woman, but rather to dig deeper, peel back the layers of the onion and try to ascertain what exactly is going on, what is being said, and more importantly, what isn't being said. Because we need to feel that it is okay to have the more painful conversation. It doesn't really matter whether it's a particular incident or race in general. Also, it's not just a Black thing. Anytime there is, whether there's racial unrest, you have something like George Floyd, or you have within the blind community, something happens. People that are not people of color, so um, white ACB members should feel comfortable with having that conversation as well. Because keep in mind, we're people first. So nobody 
should be afraid to sort of enter into those conversations, which typically have been regarded as being taboo. But no, if, if you feel, regardless of the color of your skin, if you feel like the conversation needs to be had, you need to be empowered enough to be in it and not feel like there are going to be some repercussions. So you can't always wait for the person of color to engage. Sometimes, um, you know, you have to bite the bullet and step up yourself because we're celebrating our diversity, we're celebrating, but that allows for inclusion. So we're all people that we're bringing to the table and therefore any kind of issue, um, racial issue, it needs to no longer be taboo. We kind of have to strip that secrecy, that taboo away from it and go ahead and convene the conversation. We need to be encouraged to be authentic. Whatever is happening, we need to be able to say the good, the bad, and the ugly without having to sugarcoat, without having to, oh, well, you know, tread lightly, walk on eggshells. If it is occurring, then we need to call it what it is, call it out, have a conversation, see what can be done, whether that's in the corporate world or in ACB, as we're discussing this morning. And quite often, you'll have instances where, let's say a person of color is just entering into the organization or just entering into um, the workplace, you know, you go along to get along, okay? But that is not necessarily good. That's not necessarily going to make for a good corporate official, a corporate workplace, and it doesn't necessarily make for a good organization. You know, you're just towing the party line because you feel like you have to, when if inside you're miserable. That does not bode well for longevity of membership. People have to be comfortable. People have to feel valued. People have to uh, feel like whatever is going on, they can bring to the table without any kind of retaliation. ACB traditionally is an organization that celebrates democracy. We go above and beyond. So we also have to celebrate diversity. We have to celebrate the differences because in celebrating differences, you are creating a stronger organization. Everybody has assets. We are a wealth of opportunities. Uh, people of color have a bottomless pit with respect to talent, education level, life experiences. And we want those to be valued enough to bring to the table, enough to be tapped into Within our ACB and our organization, our chapters, our local state affiliates, special interest affiliates, and just chapters, we, we would like to bring the tapestry of our experiences to the table to help better the organization. And we need to be able to feel that the door is open for us to do that. And that holds true whether you're talking about ACB, which is what we're talking about now, or the corporate world. We need to be comfortable. We need to be able to be who we are. And we need to be celebrated for our differences and our unique. We all have something that we can teach people. We all can learn from one another. And we have to be able to facilitate a situation wherein that can take place. There can't be this sort of one-sided thing. There can't be fear and intimidation, retaliation, um, none of those things. There has to be open communication. There has to be a level of receptivity to what people are saying. People have to be made to feel comfortable and people have to be included. And one of the most important ways of doing that is to develop our mentoring program. That is a very direct way of engaging ACB in general because it is 
that bottom up, like what Charlie would want, you know? We're taking the grassroots folks who are just coming in and we're combining them with people who maybe know the ropes a little bit better. We can teach them the ways of ACB and then through a mentoring program, they can take that and do us one better. They can improve the organization. They can be innovative. They can share their ideas and help to take ACB to the next level. I think that mentoring programs are critical for any organization, but particularly with ACB, because it is a way of passing down our traditions while allowing new folks to pump in new blood and to stir things up a little, maybe not too much, but stir them up, you know, make sure that all of the flavors are tasted, right? Because we are different people. We're celebrating our diversity. That was Sandra Sermons, and this is ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. The subject is fostering diversity and inclusion through mentoring. The next speaker is Regina Brink. Mentoring is a relationship, and I'm going to repeat that because I think this is the most important part. Mentoring is a relationship in which a more experienced or more knowledgeable person helps to guide a less experienced or less knowledgeable person. The reason I said that relationship is so important is because that allows you to talk to someone in a way that you can't if you don't establish that relationship first. There are constructive things you can say to someone that will be received differently if you have a relationship with them than if you don't. And some of those things that need to be said to the newbie are important and they can't be transmitted without someone that develops that relationship. That takes some time and some investment. The mentor may be older or younger than the person being mentored, but they must have a certain level of expertise. Mentoring is important, not only because of the knowledge and skills mentees learn from mentors, but also because mentoring provides professional socialization and personal support to facilitate success in the organization. Quality mentoring greatly enhances mentees' chances for success. Successful mentoring relationships go through four basic phases. There's preparation, and that's like establishing that relationship, negotiating, getting to know that person, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and where do they envision themselves, then enabling growth, and then closure, which that may be a different thing. It may, those relationships may continue on past the mentoring stage. And these build on each other and vary in length. In each phase, there are specific steps and strategies that lead to mentoring excellence. There's mentoring types. The traditional one we're all familiar with is one-on-one mentoring. A mentee and mentor are matched either through a program or on their own. But there's distance mentoring or e-mentoring, a mentoring relationship in which the two parties or a group are in different locations. We've all become very familiar with this e-mentoring thing now. (laughs) And then there's group mentoring. A single mentor is matched with several mentees. There's a mentoring model. And the most traditional mentoring model is where one senior person from the organization or more experienced because 
it may not have to do with age. You know, maybe someone loses their sight way later on in life, and this is a brand new experience to them. But someone senior in that organization mentors one junior person from the organization. For example, if you have an operation where there are many mentee candidates, but a limited number of potential mentors, that would have to happen. And you may have to do group mentoring, e-mentoring, because it might work best. So with that, I want to turn it back to Peggy Garrett. And thank you. Mentoring is definitely something that we need to implement, but it does need to operate from the grassroots up because it is there that people's potential and their contributions first are, are made available. So it is incumbent upon the president and other leadership at the chapter level to get to know their members, to find out, as Regina just said, what their strengths and weaknesses are, find out what their niche is, encourage them to get involved, starting with maybe serving on a local committee. If it's something as simple as welcoming people uh, to meetings, making phone calls to remind people of their upcoming meetings or activities, Getting them involved in that way gives them a sense of just being embraced and being included. From there, you can help them to determine what their niche is, to move into uh, maybe chairing a committee for your chapter, then moving into maybe serving as your representative for your chapter to your state affiliate, chairing a, a committee at that state level. And then it becomes incumbent upon the affiliate president to help that person to move up into the leadership. Now, because of the last year, the events and the reaching out and including people through community activities, a lot of people who normally would not have been made known to some of the leadership, that, you know, that, that's been great. But on average, some of our members are never going to be known to leadership unless they're introduced through the local chapter, through the state, and then to the national level. So these are some ways that we can really reach out, include people of all ethnicities. And this will strengthen the organization because, as I said in the beginning, there is a wealth of talent out there that's untapped. But we as an organization need to make everybody feel welcome and encourage them to share of their talents because everybody has something to offer. We just have to figure out what it is and where they best fit. As you all were speaking, I thought of two years ago at our DC Leadership Conference, where we started kind of a similar mentoring program around younger people, getting them involved, kind of fostered by mm -hmm. our uh, Next Generation Committee. That seed uh, really worked well in inviting people to come, to meet leaders, to participate in the president's meeting and the legislative seminar, integrate them into the workings of ACB, and, and then we've seen uh, the fruits of that here two years later. Next Generation is just one example of mentoring. However, within this organization, we have people of all ages who need mentoring because we at our local chapter level did a leadership training for new members or for people who've been around for a while, but just were not totally aware of how ACB operates. 
they were not quite clear on the difference between the local chapter, the state affiliate, and then the national organization. So what I told them, and they kind of laughed, but what I said to them is think of it as us being the child at the chapter level, the state being the parent, and the ACB being the grandparent. So you have the three levels of getting to know how the organization actually started, knowing your chapter's history, knowing the affiliate's history, and then knowing the history of ACB. And it worked really well because of the 18 people that we took through that program, only five of them have dropped out. Everybody else is either chairing a committee, serving on committees, or some of them are even now active at the state level. So it can be done. And like I said, we need the youth. We definitely need youth. But there are so many other people who are talented and have a lot to offer. And we don't want to leave anybody out. We have worked with the membership committee. As a matter of fact, we did a presentation with the membership committee last month where we talked about outreach and inclusion. There were some questions about how to do outreach to Blacks and other people of color. Uh, We did a whole presentation on that. That information is available on the MCAC website. This presentation on the importance of mentoring in achieving diversity and inclusion was part of the ACB leadership meeting, which was held virtually in February. The ACB Public Awareness Steering Committee, in conjunction with the Board of Publications, has launched a new email list called ACB Conversation. This new list will serve as an extension of the ACB community and will be a forum for discussion on a variety of topics. It is a safe space for ACB members and others in the community to connect and share information. To subscribe, send a blank email to acb-conversation plus sign subscribe at acblists.org. That's acb-conversation plus sign subscribe at acblists dot org. According to a press release on March 26, customers of HBO Max who are blind will soon notice many new accessible features with more on the horizon. Kathleen Duke has the details. Advocates for people who are blind applaud Warner Media's first delivery date of significant upgrades in the landmark agreement signed last October by Warner Media. The American Council of the Blind, the Massachusetts-based Bay State Council of the Blind, and individual claimants Kim and Brian Charlson. These blind individuals and advocacy organizations were represented by Disability Rights Advocates, a national nonprofit legal center and disability law center, the Protection and Advocacy Agency for Massachusetts. Warner Media has pledged to increase the accessibility of HBO Max, and in the first phase of delivering on that promise, the streaming platform rolls out major enhancements this week, including nearly 1,500 hours of audio-described content on web and mobile platforms, including select HBO Originals, Max Originals, Warner Brothers Films, and some acquired content. Audio description is a separate audio track that, when activated, provides a verbal description of visual elements on screen. 
An audio description category will be prominently featured in the navigation menu. This prominent browse location will also increase awareness about the importance of audio description and accessibility. Improvements to the accessibility of the HBO Max website and mobile applications for individuals who are blind or have low vision and use screen reader software to navigate and interact with digital content. Addition of articles to the HBO Max help site specifically supporting customers with disabilities including detailed instructions on how to perform certain tasks that may be unclear for some users. Training for HBO Max customer service specialists to help them better support customers with disabilities including sensitivity training and training on assistive technology providing 1,500 hours of audio-described content is a major commitment to access for Warner Media. Select programming released in the launch with audio description includes His Dark Materials, Generation, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Dunkirk, Euphoria, Love Life, Sesame Street, and many more titles. Warner Media will continue building on these improvements in the months and years to come. Later this year, HBO Max plans to make audio description available across all supported Internet-connected TVs. Furthermore, audio description is now being created for all new HBO and Max original programming, and customers can expect 3,000 hours of described content to be available by the end of March 2022, doubling again to at least 6,000 hours in total by the end of March 2023. In addition, over the next few months, accessibility of the HBO Max website, mobile apps, and applications for supported Internet-connected TVs will continue to be improved for individuals who are blind or have low vision and use screen reader software to navigate and interact with digital content. While screen reader users may still experience difficulties with setting up an account following this week's updates, those problems should be resolved in coming months. Dan Spoon, president of the American Council of the Blind, commented, This process has been extremely positive and will open many doors for individuals who are blind or visually impaired to both enjoy what HBO Max has to offer in terms of entertainment and education, while also allowing our community to share equally with family and friends in the truly universal pastime of viewing television and movies. By working together to bring thousands of additional hours of audio description content to HBO Max, along with the improved accessibility of the website, mobile apps, and smart TV interfaces, Warner Media and blind advocates are providing meaningful access to a significant aspect of our modern-day world. At HBO Max, our goal is to let storytelling take center stage and for each and every subscriber to be able to enjoy world-class content regardless of how they access the platform, said Sarah Lyons, Executive Vice President, Direct-to-Consumer Global Product Management. This month's initial accessibility improvements are only the first of many steps we plan to improve the experience for all users. We encourage continual consumer feedback as it is critical to evolving the product and supporting all of our valued customers.
Staff Attorney Meredith Weaver of Disability Rights Advocates said, We are excited to see the fruits of Warner Media's investment in accessibility over the last year and are encouraged by their demonstrated commitment to creating an exceptional experience for all customers. Tatum A. Pritchard of the Disability Law Center said, Warner Media's commitment to these improvements is a welcome and significant step towards greater accessibility for people who are blind or visually impaired to streaming content that serves as an important source of both entertainment and information for our society. Blindness community members are encouraged to reach out to HBO Max customer service representatives with feedback and questions. The HBO Max Help Center has been made accessible, and all feedback about audio description and screen reader access will make its way to HBO Max's accessibility team to guide them in prioritizing their work. That was Kathleen Duke. Wrapping up the Spring is Finally Here edition of ACB Reports for April 2021. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.